if you don't uh, take care of the details, sometimes you can mess up very seriously, especially, let's say, in medicine or something. If you don't get everything exactly right, you can mess up. My wife is very good at detail. Um, one of the things that kind of uh, drove that home is uh, many years ago, we bought her mother, my mother-in-law, a bedspread. And uh, while we were talking about that bedspread, I think we were driving to see her or whatever, um, my wife said that we had got a green bedspread. I said, no, it wasn't green, it was blue. She said, no, no, it was a green bedspread. I go, no, the, the background and everything was blue. So we kind of agreed to disagree until we got to her house. And basically what it was, was the, I was right, as I always am. Uh, the background was blue, but there were little green leaves all over it. She's so focused on the details that she saw the green, and I'm the general thing, and so I looked at that. And so while details are important, sometimes they can lead you to some conclusions. And so the first off is Jesus is going to have a discussion with Peter, and he's going to ask him some questions. There are those who will tell you that the reason that this takes place is to restore Peter back to his original place because he had denied Jesus three times. And so now Jesus is going to ask him three questions and he's restoring Jesus. I don't think that. Surprise. I'm kind of always in the minority. I'll tell you the reason I don't accept that. So Jesus, when he first appeared after the resurrection, he appeared to Peter. I think he dealt with any sense of of problems between him and Peter. And, and, and the, the reality is it wasn't a problem between him and Peter. It was a problem between Peter and Peter. Having feel guilty about doing the very thing you said you wouldn't do. And now here's the Lord alive and you got to confront it. I think Jesus restored Peter at that time. Why do I confirm that? Because when we looked at last week when they were fishing and John turns to Peter and says, it's the Lord. If Peter was by all other human experiences, oops, uh, I'm uncomfortable, he wouldn't have jumped in and swam to the Lord. He just said, I want to spend as much time as I can in the boat, and then when the rest of the guys are there, maybe we can diffuse the problem. But no, Peter went immediately, he swam above, uh, in front of them. So I believe Peter had already been restored. And because of that, detail, sometimes I think people miss the main point of this situation. Another detail that people will talk about is that Jesus is going to initially ask questions, and when Jesus talks about love, when Jesus says love, he's going to use one word in the Greek, which is agape, which is God-type, self-giving love. See, in the Greek, there. There are four different words for love. We mostly know the three. One, eros, the erotic love that's all about me. The phileo, the brotherly love. And then there's agape. Um, Pete, Jesus will use two of the questions, agape. Peter will respond by using the word phileo, brotherly love. And people say, well, see, Peter is not on the same wavelength. And then Jesus finally uses the term for love that Peter uses. 
Yeah, that's a detail, and I think it's, it's something that's significant but unimportant. Just let's look at it. There is no way I will ever love Jesus the way he loves me. He has, will always love me in the godly way. I am lucky when I love him just as a brother. So the, the details of, oh, it's he's not using the same language. Okay. It's probably significant, but I think unimportant. So there's a couple of details we're dealing with, okay? So now I can get to the point of what I think that this message is all about. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 21, starting with verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I'm sure that Peter knows exactly when Jesus says, do you love me more than these? That Peter knows in the circumstance what the these are. We're not quite so sure. It could be the boats. It could be the catch of fish. It could be a number of different things. But I think it's kind of probably unintentional well, that it's vague for us. Because what are the more than these? Because if he had said, do you love me more than the fish? Then we would say, obviously, we would love you more than the fish. If we termed it, well, do you love me more than what the fish represent? Income. Or do you love me, the fish and the boats, your business? Do you love me more than your business? And I think that's a question that he asked Peter, and I think it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Do we love Jesus more than these? And these may be health, wealth, fame, prestige, job, standing in the community, whatever it is that may cause you to say, yeah, I love Jesus, but not more than this. And so I think the, the circumstances of, do you love me more than these? is intentionally vague so that we might not say, well, obviously I, I love Jesus more than a bunch of fish. And he, that being Simon Peter, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I'm going to put my lawyer hat on here. And I'm going to say, your honor, the answer was non-responsive to the question. Please instruct the witness to answer the question. Would the court reporter please read the question again? And the question is, do you love me more than these? He simply says, yeah, Lord, I love you. He didn't say that I love you more than these. He said, I love you. And a lot of times that's exactly where we are. We say we love the Lord, but do we love him more than? We love to sing and we love to, to preach and we love to, to recite and we love to do all kinds of things about, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. We teach our children. We have 
Christian songs that are all on the theme that Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us so much that he climbs every mountain and swims every sea and does all these things because he loves me. But the question is, do you love him? An uncomfortable question. Because when Jesus, during his ministry, he would be very to the point. If you love, and then I'll let you fill in the blank, if you love your family more than me, you're not worthy of me. If there is something more that you love than Jesus, then you are not worthy of him. That hurts. Because there's a whole lot of times we want to put things ahead of Jesus. But Peter does exactly like we do. Yes, Lord, I love you. But notice Jesus doesn't rebuke him when he doesn't answer the question. Instead, he gives him some instructions. Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, you love me more than these. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He being Jesus said to him, tend my lamb. If you love me, then there is something for you to do. You are to take care of, you're to watch over, you're to protect, you're to make sure that my lambs, the young ones, the ones young in the faith are protected. You tend them. You see, we cannot say we love the Lord and then do nothing for the Lord. It's kind of like the, the question, what do you get the person who has everything? What really does God need from you? So in my response that, yes, I love the Lord, then he says, then do something. And the thing that you do is you make sure that my young believers are tended for. We don't love in the abstract. How can you say you love God who you do not see if you do not love your brother who you do see? See, Jesus is summing up much of what he has taught in these very questions and these very specific instructions. And so, you see, my concern is that we're so dealing with, well, he said the word agape and Peter talked about a flail and, and the restoration that we miss, what he's telling Peter and he's telling you and me. Love him more than everything else. And by showing that love, you do something. You tend to the lamb. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Again, he says, if you love me, then there is a instruction that I have for you. You are to shepherd my sheep. Now, I want you to notice something. He didn't say, okay, well, I want you to be a hireling while I'm away. 
He didn't say, you, you have a job to do. He said, I want you to be like me. I want you to shepherd my sheep. And the perfect example of that we find in Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Those are the things that he has called Peter and you and me who say we love the Lord to do. We don't just become hired hands. Because as Jesus said, the hired hand, when, when the wolf comes or somebody comes to steal, they run away, but not the shepherd. The shepherd stays and will even die for the sheep which is exactly what our shepherd did for us. He's saying, Peter, if you love me, then I need you to shepherd my sheep. And in the same way, he's asking, do you love me? Now, fortunately for us, we're city folk. Most of you, unless you've gone to a petting zoo, have no clue what a lamb and a sheep look like. Other than turkeys, they're about the dumbest animal around. They have no self-protection. The, the only real protection they have is, is their wool. And so that if a predator comes to bite them, the, if, they, if the teeth can't get sinking far enough, so that's why they get them by the throat, all done. They don't have natural protection. They're not particularly bright. But they are smart enough to follow the shepherd's voice. And they don't follow anyone other than the shepherd. So Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to shepherd my people. Sometimes they're difficult to deal with. Sometimes they can be a little dirty. Sometimes they're bad, bad, just irritating. But they're mine. And since they're mine, you shepherd them. You make sure that they are there with green pastures, that they might eat the word of God, that they might be beside quiet waters that calm and drink of salvation, that they might truly understand the paths of righteousness for his name. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Again, I get it with Peter. In any relationship, husband and wife, parent, child, whatever, if that person's asking you three different times, do you love me? Then they're not feeling loved. So what's going on? And so he feels he feels hurt because wait a minute, what what kind of person as I am that my responses doesn't secure you that I love you? And so Peter's hurt, and I don't think he's hurt because Jesus said it three times and he denied him three times. He said it because the human response is a, Lord, 
I've answered your question, but really I haven't because I didn't tell you that I loved you more than everything else. But I've been asking you the question, here's what's disappointing for me and Peter. And again, as I point my finger at Peter, I point three fingers back at me. He will respond when Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, Lord. But he doesn't follow it up with, and I will do what you told me to. He simply says, yes, Lord, I love you. Then do this. And Peter doesn't respond with, yes, Lord, I will. Maybe the reason he's asking three times is that Peter might respond, not only, yes, Lord, I love you, but I will do exactly what you tell me to. I will do because you told me because I love you. I don't necessarily want to be with the sheep, but you told me I love you, I'll do it. Which is why people will say, I can be a Christian and not go to church. And yes, you can be a Christian and not go to church. But how do you love the sheep if you don't go to church? How do you shepherd the sheep if you don't go to church? How do you tend to the sheep if you don't go to church? How do you tend for the lambs if you don't go to church? That's like saying, I love football, but whenever it's games on TV, you don't watch it. Whenever somebody gives you tickets to go to a game, you don't go. Talk is cheap. Oh, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. And we can say, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? And you can yell back, yeah, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? And we can go back and forth. The talk is cheap. And yelling is even cheaper. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my First, he said, tend my lambs, the ones that are, are weak in you. Shepherd my sheep. And now I need you to protect, guard, watch for, make sure they're provided for my sheep. Not just the lamb. He just asks a question. Peter responds incompletely. And Jesus gives instruction. These are the details we need to pay attention to. Do I love him more than anything else? And do I do so not just in word, but in deed? No wonder people preach about Jesus restoring Peter. A lot better to hear about what Peter's doing wrong than what we're doing wrong. Following up in verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, when I read this and I haven't read the rest, I read it like a, a man getting older. A man getting older says, yeah, I used to go wherever I wanted to go. But there may come a time when others will tell me what to do. 
because I'm not competent enough to do that, or they don't think I'm competent enough to do that. So they dress me and they feed me and they take me on trips and they do whatever they do. And, and I see that as kind of getting old and even though my mind keeps saying I'm not getting old, my body keeps disagreeing. So I see that and I think, well, that's kind of a fate for all of us. But Jesus isn't talking about that in that natural realm. So it tells us, now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. Notice not by just what kind of death. This is how you're going to end your life. But the end of your life will glorify God. And we are told that Peter, when he was martyred, was to be crucified. But it is said that Peter did not wish to die in the same way that his Lord did. So they crucified him upside down to glorify his Lord. Now, after having this great good news that they're going to stretch your arms out and they're going to nail you to a cross, Jesus said to him, follow me. I love the scripture. They're so different than our culture. You will hear it said over and over and over again, that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, which is true. And that God wants only good for you, which is true. And so that good is always, you're rich, you're famous, you have all these neat things. People love you. Jesus says, you're going to die by crucifixion. Follow me. It's not that God has a wonderful plan for your life. But God does have a wonderful plan for his life because he's going to glorify God. And your whole point of existence, even though you may disagree, is to glorify God. You think the whole point of God is to glorify you. Eh, wrong. He's creator. He's God. Even those who do not believe and don't even believe that he exists, will one day bow their knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. All to the glory of God. Follow me and glorify God. Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So again, this is John. John is consistent throughout the his gospel. He never says it's me. He just says it's the disciple Jesus loves. And so apparently John is kind of got to listen into what's going on, kind of a little nosy. What's Peter and him talking about? And so he's following. And the one who had also leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? that guy but Peter seeing him said to Jesus Lord and what about this man 
okay, I'm going to be stretched out and I'm going to die and I'm going to glorify God, but what about him? And isn't that so much like us? Okay, Lord, if this is my lot, well, what about these other people? Do they have to suffer the same way? Hopefully so, because misery loves company. You know, I don't want him to have a break. I don't have it. And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? In essence, Jesus says, it's none of your business. If I want him to live until I come back so that John, in essence, will live almost 2,000 years so far, so what? What I have in store for him is what I have in store for him. What I have in store for you is what I have in store for you. Follow me. You follow me. Therefore, the saying went out among the brethren that, that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? So again, it's, it's interesting how rumors, it's treated and whatever. The simple, what is that to you becomes, John's going to live forever. Rather than, it's just none of your business. Because let's face it, we all want it to be part of our business. Because we all tell God what he ought to do. Most of our prayer life's that way. God, hear your marching orders, and I'll talk to you next time. As opposed to, nevertheless, not my will be done, Lord, but yours. Probably the people most susceptible to what other people are doing are pastors. Because we live in a world of comparison. There are churches that meet in former stadiums, and they're packed. And so obviously that pastor must be better than the one who meets in a small church somewhere with just a few dozen people. Because the results are more important, apparently, unless you start to determine why one is successful and another may not be. Maybe God has given him the grace and the spirit to draw people to him. Or maybe he's just tickling people's ears and he's not really presenting the gospel. But let's say that that pastor, whoever, who's ever in your mind, and he, he is the next Billy Graham. He consciously follows the Lord. He preaches the word. He's not caring about success or whatever. He's doing what the Lord has called him to do. And then there's a pastor of a few dozen people. It's easy for the pastor to say, well, what about him? And what about me? If God says, what do you care about that guy? 
If I wish to pack his church, then thy wish to pack his church. But you follow me. You tend my lamb. You tend my sheep. You shepherd my sheep. The amount of sheep matter. It's who I put you in charge of so that you may protect them and teach them and prepare them from lambs to sheep. None of your business what I do. You follow me. So this message has two parts. Love the Lord by your action. Determine that it is just not words, but demonstration. And don't be concerned about what's happening with other people. I won't say their name, but there are a number of of current musical celebrities that the world celebrates who got their start in church. That's what God wants for their lives, fine. I'm not their boss. But just think how awesome it would have been if those people with that talent would have stayed in their church and glorified God there. Do you love me more than fame? You see, it's easy for me to ask those questions of other people. What's getting in my way of loving God and serving him? And to get that out of my life. Whatever happens to that celebrity, wonderful. It's none of my business. My business is to follow him. And if you're a believer, your business is to follow him and to demonstrate your love for him by doing what he tells you to do. Whether you're popular or not is I'm going to choose to build my life and to attempt to build in your life, him. All God's people said, 